Good morning, everyone. Before we hop into our message series, I wanted to just uh, remind and or invite everyone that we're challenging uh, people in our church to read through the Bible this year, and I know you're thinking, well, my word, it's middle of February. Well, a year is 365 days, so you can start now and end the next middle of February as well. Um, so we invite you to jump in uh, with ever, and I feel like I needed to make a public service announcement, especially this week, because this week's readings, we, you know, you kind of got into some of those things that I got a few of those uh, texts and questions of, oh my word, you know, what's going on with these Levitical laws? So I, I just want to say a couple things. I'm a pastor, not a priest. Do not show me your skin diseases. I don't want to see them. You don't have to bring them to me. We won't sit you out to be unclean. One of the things that always stuck into my mind about um, things like that, and this is actually a fascinating study if you want to do it on your own sometime. You take the Levitical laws and you compare them to what we now know um, uh, medically and science, and you see how God was actually caring for his people in those times before we had the medicines and the knowledge and the stuff that we have now. It is fascinating to see how God would actually tell them, hey, if these things happen, this is what you need to do. And then now how we fast forward to where we are today, and all we've done is confirmed that. Uh, what God told his people to do. and things. It's fascinating sometimes. So for me, even as we read through some of those things this week that may have been repetitive or like, oh my goodness, how do we get through this? And do I have to show Lindell my skin disease? No, you do not. You read through some of those things. One of the things that was a reminder is how God cares for the details of those who follow him. He really does. And uh, he, will walk, he will guide us through whatever we're walking through in life. And so it's pretty amazing. We have been in the sermon series that we're calling that's not right, and we're looking at this idea of, of when God doesn't make sense. When, when we look at our world and perhaps we're interpreting it or we're seeing it in a way where it causes us to wonder sometimes, where is God in all this? And is he doing uh, anything? Is he at work? And we're using the book of Habakkuk um, as our guide in this, and it's a pretty powerful little bitty book. It's a little bitty book, but it asks really big questions. And really the overall question that Habakkuk is asking is, why is God allowing all of these things to continue to happen in this world? Where is he? And there's a nugget of truth that we can hold on to in the midst of our world, especially in chapter 2, verse 4. It's really, honestly, out of the whole book, I would say the thing that stands out more than anything because it's, it's in one of the responses that God is giving to the prophet prophet Habakkuk, it's just a, a short phrase, and it, it says the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. And in that little phrase, what, he's, what God is saying is, Habakkuk, as I describe to you the work that's going on in the world, and even though you may not see me in it, and even though it may not be working out the way that you think that it is, there's one thing that is always true, no matter the state or the circumstances that are happening in the world, and that is this, that the righteous will live by faith. And in the midst of the righteous living by faith, they will experience the power and the presence of God in their lives like nobody else, regardless of what the culture and the circumstances and anything else that is going on around them. That's really the point and the truth in the middle of this difficult message. Now, perhaps it's your first week with us. I'm going to give you an incredibly short and very much paraphrased version to catch you up with where we are. But I would encourage you, if you want to, to, to go back to the previous messages. You can find them online uh, at our website, and you can 
hear uh, what's happening before, but just to kind of catch you up, Habakkuk begins with this question where he comes before God and he really describes that I don't really like what's going on in the world, God, and I don't see why you're continuing to let these things happen. And God gives a first response to Habakkuk that really sounds like this, well, Habakkuk, things are going to get worse before they get better. That was God's first response. So Habakkuk's response back to God was, well, that's not right. That doesn't make sense with what I believe about you and with what I know about you and what, and what I think should happen. And God's response back was, well, Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will find that in their faith in God, no matter what's happening in the world, they'll be able to continue through this. And then God, in chapter 2 of Habakkuk, begins to spell out particularly that there's this nation that he is going to allow to rise into power, the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, if you will, and that in their rise to power, they're going to do some horrible things all across the earth. And in the midst of them doing these horrible things all across the earth, the people of God, the nation of Israel, is actually going to be plucked from their place. They're going to be brought into exile into Babylon. And in the midst of all this, God is still saying, but the righteous will live by faith, even in the midst of all these things. And so... What we see as the big hope in this is that the path, the path to life, if we want to experience peace in life, we can't look for our outside circumstances. We can't look for the world to provide it. We can't look for governments to provide it. We can't look for any other source than the righteous will live by faith. The path to life, no matter the circumstance that's going on, is faith in God. If you want to have true life, if you want to have peace, if you want to have direction, if you want to gain life in this world, the path to that life comes in having faith in God. That's the message. That's where this is going overall. And so then God begins to spell out, in particular, to Habakkuk, that this nation that's going to rise to power actually has some things that are going to undermine what's happening in their life as well. And they're going to fall because of these things that are happening. And Siri thinks that I am talking to her right now, and I am not. Thank you very much. I don't know what I said that made her want to answer it, but if she has some answers, we can listen to her today. It's like, who's watching? Oh, it's me. Okay. So God spells out to Habakkuk this downfall that's happening. And he said there's three areas. There's three areas that are going to lead to their downfall, three areas of caution. There's material, there's the moral, and there's the spiritual things that are going to lead to their downfall. And he begins to describe these things in detail. Now, I want to say this. When we look, at the downfall and the things that are going to bring this nation of Babylon down. And when you compare them to where we are today, you would have to be blind not to see some similarities. I'm just going to say that. Because the first thing that there was a material downfall, and we talked about this last week. Again, it was in our message last week. But to catch you up a little bit, the material downfall was that this nation, as they rose to power and as they took over all these things, they overextended themselves. To the point that God says it's all going to come back on them. The creditors are going to rise up one day and go, nope, no more. And they're all going to take these things back. And what we're going to look at today is how they also, in the midst of that, had a downfall in the area of morality and a downfall in the area of spirituality, which really undercut that entire nation. Now, when we look at the landscape of our culture today, I'm going to say this. Depending on where you are on this, you look at these things and you go, this looks pretty dark. I'm a person that has a belief that I don't see that humanity left on its own just naturally gravitates itself back toward God. I'm a person that has a belief that humanity left on its own just moves itself further and further and further away from God. 
and continues to rely more and more and more on self. Now, you may have a different philosophical belief, but I'm the one preaching today, so we're going to talk about that. All right? And so you may be in a different place. And so I, I just have this tendency to say that sometimes when we look at our world and we, and we look and we see that it's a dark place, and we wonder, gosh, what am I supposed to do in the midst of this dark place? And I think that's a great question for us to ask. Um, many of you might, may not know this about me, but I have a hobby. Um, and one of my hobbies that I love, I love photography. I like to, like to take pictures. Now, I'm not real good at taking pictures of people. I don't know why I'm not good at that. But I love taking pictures of landscapes and things. And I love capturing God's beauty. And maybe you don't know this about photography. But you know what a camera does? The only thing a camera does is capture life. That's all it does. When you put the camera out there and you push the little button and the, and the, you know, the thing opens up, whatever your camera's like, mirrorless or not mirrorless, whatever, it opens up. All it's doing is it's letting light in for a certain amount of time. I want to show you this picture. I, I took this picture at the Arctic Circle uh, with my sister, and it was 1 in the morning, and it was pitch dark. Now, if you just looked for just a little bit, and, and you just looked out, you saw nothing. You really did. You saw darkness. But what I did on this picture was, was two things. Number one, I told the camera to, to leave the exposure open for a long amount of time. And so I sat it on a tripod, and I took the picture, and the camera was open for a long amount of time. And you might not see the light, but the camera, all it knows how to do is continue to collect things that it sees as light. And so left open long enough, it began to see the detail of what's going on around it. Now, the other thing that I did in this picture is I took a flashlight, and I stood it at the top of the trees, and that's a tech what was there. There's your photographer. I kind of painted that light in, and at the bottom of the picture, it was just capturing what was there. There's your photography lesson for the day. You're welcome. But what is it about this? Well, at 1 in the morning, standing in the snow in the cold of the Arctic Circle, you're looking out at this place, and it looks dark. But just a little bit of light changes everything. An absolutely little bit of light changes everything. And so here's the challenge for us, I believe, today. Number one, if you look at the world and you go, I just don't see where God's at work, and I don't see his hand, and I don't see any light in this dark place, look a little longer. Because I promise you, one of the things that we see from the prophet Habakkuk is God is at work. And there is light that is there, and he is doing some great things. And the other thing you can learn from this is where you can shine your own light on it as well. And just a little bit of light from you in the darkest of dark places helps you see a whole different perspective on things. So my hope for you this morning is as we talk about these things that I know are going to lead us to a place where sometimes we might get discouraged about the state of our culture or maybe the state of our nation or these type of things. The challenge is how can we be a light in the midst of that? And how can we live and what can we do? Because a little bit of light can change a lot of things. So last week, we talked about the downfall of Babylon. One of their things was this insatiable desire for stuff that led to ill-gotten gain. And then they selfishly overextended themselves and it all ended up coming back on them. And today, we're going to look at two areas and we're going to learn from them. Now, I want you to listen closely when I say this. And here's your parallel to today's world. The two other areas. The first one was morally. Morally, they made rules to match their desires. They made their own set of rules to match what they felt was right and what they felt was wrong. 
that was one of the things that led to their demise. And then ultimately, out of that morally, spiritually, they just ended up worshiping false idols, which is not a far step once you start establishing that you think that you get to establish what is right and wrong, and the way that I'm going to make the laws or the way that I'm going to make the rules is just by what I think is best or what I see as this. There's no standard greater than myself in this. It's a very dangerous place to be. And it's something that's happening in our culture and our world right now. We established laws this week or in the past couple of weeks where people get up and cheer about things that are horribly, horribly wrong. But yet we think, well, this is, this is what's best because somehow the legislators and the lawmakers have convinced themselves in those types of situations that they get to make the rules and they get to determine what's right and wrong. Well, understand this. Right and wrong only comes from one place. And it comes from God. And that's a, that's a fundamental belief for us as a believer. So this is how it's spelled out in Habakkuk chapter 2, starting in verse 12. This is what he says. And this is God speaking to the prophet Habakkuk about what's going to be the downfall. The first one is morality. He says, Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and who founds a town with injustice. Is it not from the Lord of armies that the people's labor only to fuel the fire and the countries exhaust themselves for nothing? Basically, he's saying they just bullied their way into there. They're just taking things over. Stuff that's not theirs, they're just taking it over. That's what they do. But in the midst of this, God stops and says, but listen, but the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as water covers the sea. Again, just a little glimmer of hope in the midst of this dire thing for Habakkuk to say, hey, don't forget, I'm still in charge of all this. And then he goes on to talk more about their immorality. He says, woe to him who gives his neighbors drink, pouring out your wrath and even making them drunk in order to look at their nakedness. You will be filled with disgrace instead of glory. You also drink and expose your uncircumcision. The cup is in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. And utter disgrace will cover your glory. For your violence against Lebanon will overwhelm you. The destruction of animals will terrify you because of your human bloodshed and violence against lands and cities and all who live in them. So that's him talking about their immorality. He's saying it's all going to come back on them. The things that they're doing to other people are just going to come back and be done to them. And it's going to be disgraceful. In verse 18, he says, What use is a carved idol after its craftsman carves it? It is only a cast image, a teacher of lies, for the one who crafts its shape trusts in it and makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, wake up, or to mute stone, come alive. Can it teach? Look, it may be plated with gold and silver, yet there's no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. You see, this passage describes the downfall of a nation and its immorality and its spirituality that's off and its, its insatiable desire for stuff which gets their materialistic you know, sights off and they believe that somehow they can get enough stuff and they can gain enough power and they can do enough things where they don't need anybody else because they're good on their own. And when we look at this as a nation, there's also another level of this though that we can learn. Not just by looking at it at a national scale, but we can learn personally from it. And here's the truth for us. We can apply this pattern and we can see it and keep it from happening in our own lives. It's one of the most difficult things that you can do is actually learn from someone else's mistakes. We look at someone else and we say, they're going down a path that doesn't work. And if God will help us, we can learn from that and say, I'm not going to go down that path. 
But there's something inside of each and every one of us that somehow convinces ourselves that, well, we're not going to be like them. There's something different about me. I don't have to deal with that. I'm not going to do it this way. And we get drawn away from some of those things. So when a culture or when a country or when anything is heading down this wrong path, the question becomes for us, how am I supposed to live then? What do I do as response to this? How do I live my life in this type of a situation? And God gives the answer. You live by faith. Faith in God. You don't live in a position of compromise. You don't live in a, in a position of you know, figuring things out on your own. You put your faith in God and you walk in that way. You see, here's why I need to help us understand. I don't think that, I think it's actually too easy for us at times to look at things that are happening in the world that are obviously evil, and we go, oh, that's, that's just bad. But yet sometimes we tend to gloss over our own things, and, and, and we just focus on everybody else. And we have this something that happens in our mind that says, well, as long as I'm better than them, then, you know, we're going to be okay. Now, another one of my hobbies is, is golf. And I have uh, three friends of mine that we played a lot of golf together. And uh, one of them is a really good golfer, and he never counts in this because he always beats us. And then there's the other three of us, and we're kind of equals in golf. And we got to go last year on a golf trip and spend a couple of days in Houston. And so here's the deal. We all played horribly, horrible golf. I'm like, not the time that you would want to, to go, hey, look, I won. But here's the truth. I was one stroke better than them. So when the trash talking ensued, I got to win the trash talking. Because even though we played awful golf that I would never want to tell anybody about, I beat them. And so that was good enough for me. Because it was like, well, this may have all been bad, but I wasn't as bad as you. And so therefore, I feel like I'm good. I got a one. And sometimes that's how we approach these things in life. We, do, we look at the horrible things in the darkness that's out there and we go, well, I'm not that bad. And sometimes we ignore the things that are happening in our life, and then it causes us to follow this similar pattern if we're not obviously careful about it. To say, well, I don't have to worry about these things in my life because I'm not as bad as them, but, you know, I'm going to compromise here. I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to, you know, and it creeps into our life in a very subtle way if we're not careful with it. And so here's what I want to tell you. I hope we all realize today that there is a difference between Christian culture and biblical truth. And so we as believers are not striving to fit into Christian culture. We are striving to find and follow biblical truth. And at times there's a difference. Because I've, I mean, I was born and raised in church. I've been in church nine months longer than I've been on this earth. You know what I mean? I mean, that's just it. And, and you're brought up and you're taught how to stand and when to sit and what to do and how to do these things and how to get along with people and all this stuff. And, and if I'm not careful, I could get culture down and I can get these things down and I can give an appearance that I understand and know all these things. And I can, there is a vast difference between Christian culture and biblical truth. And let me say it another way. You shouldn't take everything that I say and just go home and go, well, Lundell said it. Because I'm learning just like you are. Because here's my belief. We live in a broken world. And because we live in a broken world, I grew up in a broken world with a broken head. And my broken head is trying to figure things out. And the more that I try to figure things out, I see what God's word says. And there are times that happen in my life, though I've been a believer in Christ for 41 years now. And I have been a minister on church staff for about 30 of those years now. 
that there are still things that I learn from God's word every day that I go, I need to make a change in my life because God's word is showing me something that is leading me away from life that he wants that I need to adjust. Now, praise the Lord, there's not as many at this part of the journey as there were at the first. We're making some progress. But I'm going to tell you, as long as I'm doing this, there's going to be that happening in my life. So my ultimate goal is not to fit in comfortably into Christian culture. (laughs) My ultimate goal is to know what God's word is leading me to do and how I live this out biblically. And so we got to be real careful that though we desire for some things culturally to change, ultimately the righteous will live by faith, no matter what the culture does. What God was describing to Habakkuk was basically this. You're going to be, and your people are going to be led into exile. And Habakkuk, you're never going to get out of exile. You're going to die in exile. But the end of this, this nation's going to fall, and things are going to continue to move on. And so how do you live in that situation where God says, it's not going to work out the way you want? The righteous will live by faith. And I know you may, first of all, hear me say that and go, that's not real encouraging. Oh, yes, it is. Because true life comes in following God in that faith. It doesn't come from the circumstances that are around us. And when we learn that, then we experience peace and joy and hope and happiness and all these things, no matter what's happening. And then we can shine a light brightly into this world that only sees darkness. And we can give hope to the hopeless. And we can give help to the helpless. And we can reach out and we can share the glory of God in a place where nobody else may see it. And that is true life. And that is why we want to follow this way. And that's why we want to know this. Not for me to get up here and preach hellfire and brimstone and tell us how bad things are in the world. Hey, guys, things are bad in the world. You're welcome. Okay? You, you probably already figured that out. But the question is not how do we combat that. It's how do we live. And so here's what we need to understand. In our world today, those who don't believe in Jesus or who put Christianity in a different place, they, they need to see Christians who are living with moral standards established by the word of God, not by subculture or by opinion or by tradition, but by the word of God. And they need for believers to be able to go to the word of God, not to their pastor and go, well, my pastor told me this, or I learned that in Sunday school. They need to go, it says it right here. And this is what I believe, and this is why I live this way. Because let me tell you something. It's what Lundell said. They're going to go, who? (laughs) And it's going to be a real weak argument. It's going to be a real weak discussion. But when you as a believer of God are taking the word of God in to the place where you're able to look at someone else and say, well, I live this way because right here it says this, and this is how God has led me to live. And I now understand that I once thought this, but God corrected me, and I think this now because I know that God has established the right way to live, and this is why I'm going to live that way. That's powerful. And that's the path to life. And that's what I want you to have. So, first thing we need to do is we need to realize there is right and there is wrong. Amen? Amen. There is right and there is wrong. In a world and a culture that wants to constantly push us to compromise and, well, that may be right for you, but it's not right for me. No, there is right and there is wrong. And we need to understand that. We First of all, that's the basic thing. You don't have to get spiritual on that. You just need to go, hey, there's right and there's wrong. Which leads to the next question, which is, well, who gets to establish right and wrong? We're going to get to that. But the first thing we need to understand, there's right and there's wrong. And the path to life comes in finding what is right and following it. And so here's the, here's the truth for us. 
right and wrong has been established from the beginning of time by God. And before we get judgmental and say, that's right, everybody needs to follow God's ways. Well, you're right. Let's recognize that we all struggle to follow God's ways, right? All of us struggle with following God's way, and we've been struggling with that from the beginning of time. Some of us struggle because things in life get difficult, and when things get difficult, we're wired to go, I just got to take control of this all myself. And so we just leave God aside, and we go, I'm just going to fix all this, and all of a sudden, God goes out the window, and what we think is right, or how we think it should go, or how we want it to go, comes into play, and all of a sudden, God leaves. And some of us are wired differently. Some of us, when everything gets going well, and we think, man, life's going exactly like I want, I don't need God anymore. And we just continue to try to control it and do it all of ourselves, and then God kind of goes away. We need to just first of all understand there's a right and a wrong, and it's established by God. It's been established from the beginning of time. And it's not just about finding out right so that we can tell somebody else that they're wrong. Finding what is right is the path to true life. That's why we're talking about this. You see, because true life comes through living God's way because God's way is right. True life comes through living God's way because God's way is right. Jesus, when speaking to his disciples, was trying to tell them this and in replying to his disciples' questions, specifically to Thomas, he says to Thomas, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, we live in a world where people will go, well, that's kind of exclusive. So you're saying that nobody can get to heaven except through Jesus? It's exactly what I'm saying. Nobody gets to heaven except through Jesus. Well, that's just not fair. Well, you know what? It's not fair because you're trying to compromise and figure out a way to do it in a way that's different than what God has established long before we were ever here and will be established long before, long after we're gone. God's the one that gets to say what is right and what's wrong. And he loves us so much that he sent Jesus so that we can know the path to right and that we can know the way and the truth and the life. And so it's God's love that helps us understand that there is a way to do this. So let me say it this way. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus speaks a little bit more specifically, and he says, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate, and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. But why is that? Why would Jesus say that? Well, because we live in a world, in a culture, in a time where everything wants to wants us to believe it. Well, there's Jesus and, or there's not just this way, or there's a, and he says, no, this is very narrow. The path to life is through Jesus Christ. You know, and in our culture, how they would respond is go, all you Christians are narrow-minded. And when you hear that, just go, thank you. Because Jesus said we're narrow-minded as well. Because the path that leads to life is very narrow. And it's very clear of how God said that we get there. It is through Jesus Christ. You see, God's way will lead to life. We want to believe that our ways and our thoughts and, and the stuff that we can come in will lead to true life. But what we see through this example of the Babylonians is when you come to the place where you establish rules based on your own desires, it will eventually lead to your downfall. And so we need to come to the place where we say, I understand that true life only happens when I find true life in God's way, not just by fulfilling my desires. God's way will lead to life. 
a life that is abundant and full. And no matter what the state of the world is, it will still be there because the righteous will live by faith. You see, I keep coming back to that because, man, that came from the mouth of God to the prophet Habakkuk for him to hang on to. And I think it comes from his mouth for us to hang on to today in the world as we see it. The righteous will live by faith. That's your answer. That's how you live in this world. Well, pastor, what does it mean to live by faith? You know what? It means to put everything you have into following Jesus Christ. And when you get to the specifics of that, there's going to be some differences between how you live your life out, the way you're gifted, the way that you're experienced, the jobs that you have, the platforms that you have, and what I have. But ultimately, for all of us, it's the same. We live by faith. And when we live by faith in God, then we will experience life at its fullest. You see, here's what you need to understand. I can know God and follow his way. Finding God is not some mystery. I can know God and follow his way. And not to be overly simplistic with this, but how do I do that, Pastor? It's right here. God loves us so much that he not only gave us his son to die on the cross so that we can have a relationship with him, he also gives us his spirit which lives inside of us and guides us. And he also gives us his word so that we can know how to navigate and live in this life. God loves us so much, he's pointing the way all the time. But sometimes we just look at it and say, it's dark and I can't see anything. Well, we're not necessarily looking long enough to let that light come into play. And sometimes we're not doing the work of shining our own light in the dark places so that we can see God at work. I can know God and follow. Look at God and to know his word and to hear and to listen and to be a part of this. I can know God and follow his way. His his desire and his path and his plan for my life are not some mystery. He tells it to us this way, John 14, 1, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, is what Jesus said. Don't let your hearts be troubled when they pass laws that make you want to throw up. Don't let your hearts be troubled when things happen in your family and in your life that you don't think. Are, don't let your hearts be, I, I know you're going, Pastor, that's like bumper sticker hell. You're just like giving me something. No, it's, it's absolutely true. What God is saying is, I know these things are going to weigh you down, but you've got to put your faith in me. And even though it might not work out in your timeline, you need to know that I'm at work. Because when you see that I'm at work and you have faith in me, then you'll be able to be in a place where your heart won't be troubled. I love you so much today that I'm just trying to tell you how to walk with hope and peace and light and happiness and joy in a world that sometimes wants to beat you down. You do it by putting your faith in Christ. Your faith in God, your faith in Jesus Christ. That's how you do it. And then when we do that, and we believe in God, and we walk with Him, this is what begins to happen. We begin to have things that grow inside of our life, even in the midst of a dark world, that begin to come out of us. Tell me if this describes the kind of life and the kind of heart that you would like to experience. Galatians 5.22 says, the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit living inside of us, following God, is this. It's love. It's joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You see what this verse is saying here? Is that those who have chosen to follow Christ Jesus don't let their passions and their selfish desires 
start to reign and take over themselves and lead to their downfall, which is exactly what we saw happen in the lives of this nation of Babylon. Material, moral, and spiritual failure because they let their desires get out of control. But those who have found life in Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, and they have found true life comes in knowing and following the one who created life itself. That's the life that we're all looking for. That's the hope and the peace and the joy. And that's why I share the wonderful message here that the righteous will live by faith. And then you will not only be able to have love and joy and peace and patience, goodness and gentleness and self-control, but you will be able to be a light in a dark world and experience life like never before if you will choose to follow God's ways. So we just close with this thought. Will I choose my way or God's way? Because ultimately, that's really really all comes down to. Am I going to choose to do it my way or am I going to choose God's way? Am I going to trust that God's way is truly best and I'll give all that I have into following him? If you will do that, you will experience life at its fullest.